For November 19th, 2012, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 229. For certain definitions of vampire... Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the cultural capital of America, Los Angeles, California, uh, home of the Twilight films, because it's the home of the movie studios that make all films or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm Matthew Rather, and that's Peter Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hello. Drink, because it's, it's Pete and me. It's a two-hand. Uh. I don't want to drink today, Matt. I drank too much yesterday. <laughs> it was the uh, the big Yale Harvard football game, and I just I just overdid it. So I know I have my Harvard, my Harvard see, Harvard see my fight to the end, but uh, and and they will be surprisingly effective when they do yeah. fight to the end. <laughs> Fighting to the end is is an incredible strategy for winning the game of football. At least this year, fighting to the end was necessary, and they didn't just have to fight until the third quarter and then just get orange slices and, and spring water. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> which go is to, what's been recent years. Go to mom's Tupperware container, right? Like at, yeah, at yeah. the sidelines. Um, well, uh, Pete, in, in honor of the, the Twilight film, which I just, I just want to double check, I haven't seen. You haven't seen either, right? No, no, I haven't. I, have, I watched the first Twilight film, but I haven't watched the subsequent ones. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and you watched it for the, uh, the overview, didn't you? Uh, I did. I watched. I, I watched it and listened to the overview. Yes. Oh, I was, see. Oh, okay. Great. Great. I was not part of that overview. That I've been a part of many quality overviews, but the Twilight one is not one of them. <laughs> so. uh, well, in in honor of that, I think that that you and I are uh, alike in that we are both um, diehard members of the Twilight fandom, right? Oh, am yeah. I, totally. Right. Good. Yeah. OMG. Right. OMG. OMG. I am. I am on. Uh, I'm actually on Team uh, Jacob's Dad. <laughs> I like it. He's the guy in the wheelchair, right? And he's uh, sort of, a, you know, the sort of gnarled, like, old, native, wise Native American fellow. Yes. Um, yeah, I totally think that Bella should have ended up with him. It would have been great. Um, uh, I don't know if he gets killed in, like, the second Twilight book or something, and this is, like, really ironic for me to say. Uh, and in fact, like, it didn't really win out. Sometimes I say I'm on Team Frankenstein, but then people get mad at me and say I'm really on Team Frankenstein's monster. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, uh, Pete, I, I, so I know that as a diehard fan, you will agree with me that, that I don't believe that this is the end. Um, uh, oh, God, this no. is the end of the franchise, that they're going to make more films in this franchise. Uh, after having made, you know, $340 million globally this weekend, how can they not make more films uh, in this franchise? So, um, Pete, what do you think the plot of the uh, sixth Twilight film or fifth Twilight book will be? What are some, uh, what are some features that you think will, uh, that you think the, um, the next one will uh, involve? Well, I'm pretty sure that I've already heard the theme song, like played on some of my hot Twilight fandom sites that I go to, like uh, twilightisnover.net, and which is probably a porn site. I haven't actually gone there; it doesn't exist. I don't know, but I should actually go there. Is Twilight isn't over? Any? Let's let's see. Let's Google Twilight isn't over and see you if know, it's an actual site. Fun funny story, a little known fact. Whenever you see a a, um, a URL in a network. TV show, if it's not a product placement, if it's not like talking about Google because Google has, you know, advertised itself on that show, um, if it's a fake URL, uh, for like for legal reasons, they have to clear the URL and actually buy it, you know, so that no one puts up a, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a hate speech website, right. you know, <laughs> at a, at a, right, like at a URL mentioned yeah. in a television show. So if there's one thing, if there's one thing House loves, it's anti-Semitism, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> so if you if you use who is. Uh, to sort of query the the DNS information or the the domain registration information um, behind those, you'll see that they're very often held by holding companies uh, that are like domain name holding companies uh, wholly owned by the studios. Uh, little known fact. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 So, yeah, uh, it, looks like, it looks like Twilight Isn't Over dot net is open if anyone wants to grab it. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that the the uh, the theme song goes. Uh, Edward, 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 and it follows Edward after Bella and Edward divorce. Edward moves to New York City, uh, where he tries to make a living as an aging vampire. Uh-huh. Uh, 
he kind of feels alienated. You know, he's trying to raise his daughter, Renesme, wherever the heck you pronounce it. Like, they have these split custody, you know, and it's like, you know, he's good at being a vampire dad, but he's not great at being, like, a vampire, like, dude, you know, and he has sort of awkward experiences with it. Uh, I feel like the, the proof of concept has happened, and all we need to do is vampire it up. I'm really excited for it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> My little transparent Louis C.K. joke. Yay. It's done. <laughs> so I, don't, I miss having Mark on the podcast because usually he's a good, he's a good, uh, He's usually a good um, sounding board for whether a joke that I think is funny for people who aren't me. Uh, <laughs> like, he'll usually be a good person to run and bounce it off of. Well, I know you think I don't banter enough during the, uh, during the question of the week. Well, you know, I mean, of course, that's what I'm going to say. It's like I want every you know I want to re, you know remake everyone wants to remake the world in their own own image right like the Joker like put smiley faces on everything like all those themed Batman supervillains like I want everything to be a penguin you know it's like you know when when you're a banterer every problem looks like something that requires more bantering <laughs> which is not a very pithy saying but you know what it's one that you can banter about so there yeah, you go exactly when you when you have a banter every problem looks like a nail oh, I was trying to find something that rhymes with nail I really we should go through different things let's banter a little bit about the <laughs> <laughs> the, do you know? Do you know what the lyrics of the Louis song is, of Brother Louis, which is the theme song to Louis C.K. Louis 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 You're gonna die. Right. It's you're gonna cry first, right, and then it's you're gonna die. Yeah. It's it's, ba- it's from a song about I think what interracial an interracial baby or something, <laughs> and it, and it's like it's like an old soul song, like um and uh, and they they changed it. To be about like Louis thinking about his impending, you know, eventual inevitable death. Well, right. It's uh, ch- it's changed by sort of contextualization, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Dan Harmon is in the ravioli. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I mean, as much as I joke about uh, about like Edward Louis, like Edward Louis C.K., they actually already made that movie, and it's called Interview with a Vampire, <laughs> right? Like the uh, the story of like like aging Br- Brad Pitt, kind of wandering around, being kind of mopey. I mean, he doesn't eat pizza, but you know, he does the equivalent. Um, although it's a little more, it's like marginally more uplifting. Like the scene where Antonio Banderas burns to death is like marginally less depressing than like the scenes in Louis that, that I've just started watching on Netflix. Right. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe that's, that's a journey that's already been trod. It would be cool to see like, if you're going to do some sort of series of spinoffs or like a web series or something of like, for, of an extended universe stuff, it would be cool to have, uh, a series about somebody who like has seen interview with the vampire the movie and decides to then like has heard about Edward and decides to find him and like interview him uh, uh-huh. and, it, and sort of jumps back and forth between them sort of reading the book and thinking about Christian Slater and then like seeing themselves as Christian Slater and like the differences between uh well Lestat right he he, he interviews he interviews the the Brad Pitt character about Lestat, who's the Tom Cruise character, and right. then the Tom Cruise character shows up. Oh, sorry. Uh, spoilers for Interview with the Vampire. Uh-huh. <laughs> These uh-huh. events all happened in the movie from like 1991 or wherever it was. So I think that might be past the statute of limitations. Let me look up. Make sure – I want to confirm. 1994. So not quite past the statute of limitations yet with baby Kirsten Dunst, which is crazy. Yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. Crazy, crazy. Uh, well, I want to I, I want to um, I think that what's going to happen in book six is that uh, after this, like extremely these extremely retrograde gender politics in, you know, that the, the Twilight books and films have been sort of much uh, uh, criticized for. Mm-hmm. I think that Kristen Stewart's character, Bella, is going to have a sort of personal liberation, right? And is going to like, because she has, you know, eternity, she has hundreds and thousands of years, she is going to sort of reinvent or sort of import into the vampire community, which is sort of hidebound, right? Because it's sort of centered on a, uh, a sort of crumbling European aristocracy, you know, a kind of ethically corrupt European uh, aristocracy, which is sort of so always so kind of threatening to Americans, just ask Henry James, um, the, uh, the thing that's going to happen in the vampire world is that she's going to lead a great kind of uh, feminist movement of, you know, feminist vampires. Maybe, maybe they'll call mm-hmm. themselves like fempires or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think the subtitle of the next movie might be like The Fempire Strikes Back. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I, I like, I, or the very, very deep that indigo a, girls. That a, yeah, uh, that was a four out of ten at best. But, but thank you very much. Yours was better. 
Uh, you know, well, we neither of us hewed to the really uh, gripping titling convention of Twilight books, which is to pick some sort of non-sequential element of of like night or moon, right? Like the sort of uh, things that happen when the level of light is changing in the evening. Um, so what? So because yeah, I remember we we last podcasted about Twilight. I kind of went off a little bit about how I kind of wish that the Twilight series book names represented uh, astro- astronomical phenomenon that happened either in parallel or in some sort of sequence, right? Like right. if they were sort of – because it is not a very good parallelism because the phenomenon of twilight and the phenomenon of new moon, they don't really sort of exist as the same sort of noun, right? Like they kind of describe different ways of experiencing or thinking about astronomy. And then it goes like twilight, new moon, eclipse, breaking dawn. Uh, well, it's always, it's always reflections of sunlight, I guess – it's sort of like the sun is sort of obscured by something. So, like, what if you were to make like a sort of, uh, you know, vampire bra burning um, kind of like you know, vampire epic? Uh-huh. Uh, like, what astronomical phenomenon like could we use to describe it that involves the sun? Twilight. Like, uh, I think it's twilight transit of Venus. Transit of Venus. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then yeah, and then we could just we can we can bring it back to its roots with Venus in retrograde, right. which is when she like just abandons all of her principles and and goes back to being shy and biting her lip and feeling bad about things. Uh, yeah, brooding. Yeah, brooding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the long empty pages of the the time that she spends without Edward. I mean the the um, the. Uh, Metaphor, right, has to do with, like, Edward is the sun and Bella is the moon, which is, you know, um, right, like, which is sort of part of the retrograde gender politics, speaking of Venus and retrograde, like, part of the retrograde gender politics of the the book, because the sort of, the sun's light is original, is generative, whereas the moon's light is reflective, and the moon sort of orbits the sun insofar as it orbits the earth, and the earth orbits the sun, Um, right, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know it's uh, and actually, did did you know there? Because I I sort of read up on the internet when I first discovered the Twilight books and read them all in an afternoon. The um the which you know, no, I'm sorry, it took like six weeks because there are thousands and thousands of pages of them, uh, though there don't need to be. Um, the the uh, there was an abortive uh, book from Edward's point of view. Ah, uh, okay, right called uh midnight sun okay maybe it's the other way around i don't know i don't know <laughs> it's the moon i don't even care really no, but yeah. bella was perhaps the midnight sun uh rising in the darkness of edward's you know eternity doomed to walk yeah. the earth as a vampire I mean, there, there's a couple of, of literary historical things that are going on there right like i mean there's a little bit of book of timothy Right, there's a little bit of sort of like orienting when they sort of orient the family in in line. They sort of they create that parallelism in the in the in the book of the Bible, the book of Timothy, right? Where it's like families should be structured the way that the church is structured, which in turn should be structured the way the universe is structured, and of course the universe is structured in this way that's oriented around God and Jesus. And so you know this is the whole idea of like men should be the head and they should have their heads uncovered is in there too, and like you know the, it's because it imitates the way that these other constructions work, and it's very Aristotelian, I guess, it was, or Ptolemaic. Would that be a better way of describing it? Like that idea that of a uh, of appealing to perfection as an organizing uh, uh, an organizing principle for scientific systems, mm-hmm. right? Like everything should work out, everything should match. Um, sort of like how I want the Twilight book series to match. Uh, but there's also like, I mean, there are some pretty interesting. I mean, I've, I'm thinking, of course, of the unsurpassed and unsurpassable work of literature in any language, Paradise Lost, as you've described it on numerous occasions. Uh, isn't I think. Satan in Paradise Lost is described in pretty early on in a pretty influential passage about being the the moonlight, right? Or or something about uh, you know if if you know the, the glory of this this sort of satanic glory, which also kind of is associated with secular knowledge a little bit, right? Or sort of like um, I mean the Blakean reading places it in the line of independence and democracy, right? But that's not necessarily the only way that you can read it. Yep. Uh, but just this idea of like the the moon reflecting the sun being associated with the devil and with the occult, right? Or with um, sin, right? And, and things that are uh, that are attractive but wrong or, or untrue. Um, you know what I mean? Like like reaching back into your old bag of tricks from your sort of uh, poetry days. Can you think of other kind of formative examples of? person as sun and person as moon as sort of a way of subordinating somebody under somebody else? Well, yeah, I, I'd like to uh, to hearken back to that great bard uh, 
Piper Parabo's character in a little film called Coyote Ugly. <laughs> the uh, the final is that is that is that from the 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 Navajo people? Is that one of their <laughs> traditional <laughs> stories? <laughs> yes, I remember when Coyote many, Ugly the Trickster. Yeah, exactly. Right. Coyote <laughs> Ugly the Trickster. Co- yeah. many, many moons ago begins yeah. this story, which is the connection with um, uh, Moonlight. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, so no, uh, she what what she says at the end of that film in her magnum opus is uh, you can try to resist, try to hide from my kiss, but you know, but you know you can't stop at the moonlight. Oh, okay. See, I was going to, uh, I was in, I was instead going to quote uh, one of the great bards uh, of of a slightly earlier literary period and, uh, and and i would i would call upon when people are talking about kind of the subordination of gender in the twilight series i would just say look don't blame it on the sunshine don't blame it on the moonlight uh-huh. don't blame it on good times uh-huh. blame it on the boogie <laughs> don't blame it on the sunshine don't blame it on the moonlight don't blame it on the good times Blame it on the boogie. <laughs> I think the repetition really brings it out. Like the first time you go through it, you don't quite get it. And then that second time really crashes in. Uh, and then Michael Jackson really helps you understand who's accountable for all of the terrible sins in the earth. Right? Like, uh, actually, I'm looking at the lyrics of this song now. It's like a, it's a disco song, right? It's like a, it's, a, it's from the Jackson 5. It's not actually Michael Jackson. Um, but, uh, but it's like, what are you blaming on the boogie? Yeah. Um, Oh, I get it's because his, I get it. I get it. I'm looking at the lyrics now. It's actually kind of interesting. It's kind of feminist. It's like retrograde in terms of its relationship with gender, which is really not that surprising. Um, my baby's always dancing, and it wouldn't be a bad thing, but I don't get no loving, and that's no lie. And this is like freaking 10-year-old Michael Jackson singing this song. Not quite so young, but uh, a little bit later. But uh, we spent the night in Frisco at every kind of disco, and from that night I kissed our love goodbye. Um, Wow, yeah. So it's about like, you know, I, I let my woman like express her sexuality freely and now like she has taken this opportunity to leave me and I've like been betrayed. Uh, not by not by any not by the fact that it was fun, not by the sort of passage of the planets, but in fact by like the power of music, which of course is for some reason more powerful than human agency in the song. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I guess that is actually fairly common, right? That songs ascribe a greater degree of power to music than to human agency. Uh, <laughs> It's like, put your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Sure. Like, it, the, so clearly what the person, whether the person wants to put their hands in the air or not, like, the person is actively discouraged from putting their hands in, right. from wanting to put their hands in the air. Or, or at the end of, of uh, Hairspray, the, the musical adaptation of Hairspray, right? Like, the song, you can't stop the beat, right? You know oh. what I mean? It's like the, the uh, or the, the integration of, you know, television dance programs, uh, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But exactly. Like, uh, you can't, you know, there is a beat, right? Like, there is a. Uh, that, that never goes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, beat, the, beat, the beat goes on. It does. The beat goes on. The, 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 beat, the beat is on. The heat is on. It's on the street. I, <laughs> I was trying to find that. I was trying to Google for that uh, uh, quotation from Paradise Lost the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature ever in any language. Um, but I couldn't, I actually couldn't find it. I, you know, searching, I, I mean, I, it's left as an exercise to the reader or listener to. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from book two. Right, like, uh, okay. hold on. Let me just speed read. Uh, let me just speed read um, book two here. All right. Well, we have a you know we have a uh, a listener question that actually might while you're looking it up and I'll, I'll read it. It might uh, get us going here. It's from uh, Phil from Michigan, who does not include his his uh, ICBM address, but uh, he's from Michigan. Um, it's we can take it out with a bunch of missiles if you you know. Uh, a question for the overthinkers, he says, I'm unable to understand why our pop culture has made the dramatic switch from the adulation of vampires, who are, he says, sophisticated, powerful, brilliant, eloquent, ellipsis, and well-dressed. <laughs> in their indigo, in their vampire indigo, uh, the indigo girls of the vampire age. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, to the near worship of zombies. Uh, crude, stumbling, brainless, mumbling, and uh, a fashion risk at best. Um, so, uh, so this is what what Phil like. We we've talked before about the kind of the move from zombies to vampire, or the ascendancy of zombies, the reascendance of zombies. Um, look, horror horror things tend to encode a kind of cultural fear that's that's current at the time, and there can be more than than one 
cultural fear, um, you know, uh, going at, at any given time. I, I'd wager there are many. I've watched Louis, so I know there are a variety <laughs> of cultural fears that are happening at any given time. You know, and there's, there, I mean, there's a body of, there's a body of like film theoretical writing. Uh, and I'm thinking about, um, uh, Robin Wood, who's a film critic who wrote a book called Hollywood from Vietnam to, to Reagan, who writes about horror cinema and writes about the kind of the particular kind of Cold War um, uh, fears that the horror cinema of the period is is encoding. Um, here, I mean, with, with vampires, it's traditionally like I brought up Henry James before and the idea of, you know, the the idea of sort of European or sort of continental European, because actually like Brit- Britain belongs to the, the United States side. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I mean, you know, Bram Stoker is Irish, right? Like, yeah. The, well, the British Isles, I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like yep. the, the uh, England, Ireland, right. Like um, all that sort of stands in opposition to the sort of decadent uh, European aristocracy, which is sort of crumbling, but still sort of incredibly seductive. And like in America, you get you get sort of Henry James, and you get Edith Wharton, who sort of does that in the Age of Innocence a, li- a little bit. And um, right, and so the the vampires sort of stand in for this uh, kind of decrepit, uh, priapic, um, uh, you know, uh, continental. Uh, decadence, arist- aristocratic decadence, uh, w- and it's funny because the um, in in Twilight, you know, the the vampires seem to kind of stand for a, a, maybe an escape from the uh, an escape from the uh, the tumult of adolescence, right? Like rather than rather than sort of deal with the kind of the primal wound of being like sent away by her mother or her father who is exceptionally uh, remote, right, or any of the number of you know uh, tribulations that go along with um, that go along with being an adolescent, right? The, this girl sort of gloms onto the vampire. The vampire culture is actually kind of steady, right? Like as a way of escaping the, um, uh, as a way of escaping, uh, her, her situation. Zombies on the other hand, tend to be associated, I guess, with like economic, Mm. uh, specifically economic forces, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, so Zanya was vampires going back to Bram Stoker. I, I, I would, I would, I would dispute that the vampires in Twilight are escapist, uh, but that's but we can come back to that um, if you want. Uh, we can talk about that. I mean, I, I've, I've obviously seen the first movie and I have a sense for what they are in the culture. You've read the books; you know better than I do. Um, but uh, but yeah, vampires. I, I've always thought of them as being the anxieties of Britain about continental Europe and the aristocracy, particularly right. of, of Eastern Europe and the Balkans. Right? It's very important that the vampires are from Transylvania. Right, like and that's and that's and that and also that Dracula has to sleep in his earth, and that they sort of have to literally bring like crates of earth from Transylvania and put them in London or whatever, right, for for Dracula to go to sleep in them, um, and that's sort of an anxiety about immigration and about like cultural interface. And I mean, if you wanted to, if we wanted to just take for granted that there have in fact been cyclical times where vampires have been popular or not popular, we can start connecting the dots. Okay, well, what was happening with America's relationship with Europe and Eastern Europe in particular? When its particular vampire craze happened, so like you know, the earliest vampire craze that I remember is the interview with the vampire vampire craze, the Anne Rice craze, which came right after the fall of the Soviet Union, sure. right? And it was the whole like you know the big the big song, the world wakes up from history. There was a sense that kind of we'd weathered the storm of all of the nonsense that happened during the World Wars and the Cold War, and that like America was finally done with all that, and like the world was sort of we were sort of triumphant, and the world was going to be democratic and awesome, and everything was going to be great, right? Uh, you it was morning in America and all that nonsense. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, of course, it's like, well, there are these sort of European things that are still out there. They're kind of seductive. Uh, we're kind of curious about them. And there's sort of a threat that they might resurge, maybe, that's kind of a sort of hidden social anxiety. We could conjecture, right? And then we could say, well, maybe when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was happening – 
and Angel were happening, right? Which was another big vampire craze. Uh, and let me look at to double check the years that that was happening. So 1997 to 2003, right? And sort of like, well, what's happening around that time? Uh, gosh, well, like you're. I mean, you, 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 it's that period, uh, there was a big, we were, we were graduating from high school, for example. Yeah. Geez. Yeah, exactly. So like, um, there was a big economic downturn in 1997, right? I want to say, well, we, that was also the sort of ascendancy of the housing bubble was ha- or the tech bubble was happening. Right. And then globalization the sort, of, the sort was- of first tech bubble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that I would say, okay, well, then the Buffy the Vampire Slayer maybe is about globalization, and and the reason that uh, that Buffy is is so prominent is that it's also about the ascendancy of professional women, which was a big macro trend that was happening at the time in the United States. More women going to colleges, more women going to graduate schools, like women increasing their economic power, right? And the idea that these women, as they come into positions of power, are going to not have to just deal with regular high school douches; they're going to have to deal with vampires, which I, by which I mean European douches, right? Or like people from from other parts of the world right like like if you if you honestly like if you want to come up with an epithet just to like replace it whenever you see the word vampire just replace it with european douche because that's what it almost always means uh, and i'm not yeah, saying like, that cl- like cl- club what? kid or something or like you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. Or- I mean, and I don't want to be disparaging to our European listeners, and I'm just saying, like, from the perspective of America and Britain, I tend to think that vampire stories are xenophobic about Europe. Um, Now, of course, then you start asking questions about, like, let the right one in, right? Which, I mean, it's Scandinavian, right? Um, So it's in Europe, so it's probably not about anxieties about continental Europe, but it is certainly about the outsider and about kind of closed society and the threat of people coming in, right? Well, I mean, Buffy, though, very explicitly was sort of doing something else. it, it was sort of right. Like I, I get the 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 parallel you're suggesting to globalization, and right, like the idea that that the town was on a hellmouth, right? Like, and it was going to be sort of spewing forth uh, all and sundry, you know, into our pleasant little uh, sunny town, right? right? Like that 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 this this is the thing that's about. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's about a sort of it's a coming of age story about a girl becoming a woman, and so it's about like puberty and adolescence and and. Um, um, and so, like, while they are while they are sort of metaphors for European douches, or maybe it's not the. I mean, maybe it's sort of the the bigger fear at the time with NAFTA and whatnot was was not European douches, but more like sort of Mexican douches, right? I don't remember a lot of Mexican vampires in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, but you mean just like the fear in California? Yeah, yeah. Of well, the, from the well, outside coming in. Yeah, but the fear in the whole. I mean, the fear in the whole the whole economy, right? Like yep. that that um, you know our our what our all of our sort of blue collar jobs are going to be outsourced down south. Well, outsourced wasn't a word that was uh, uh, in use at the time, but right, yeah. the, like that—that that was the idea, um, and that was the—that was the sort of the tenor of that fear. But it was more like it was more like sort of men and their their sort of rapacious sexuality are right as yeah. the is the vampires. Yeah. Uh, th- though that that I suppose is just thinking it and not overthinking it. And so what you what yeah. you propose is more the the overthinking point. Of view. I mean, I think the vampire movies that are about anxieties about Mexico are probably dusk from dusk till dawn and. Uh, and John Carpenter's Vampires, which came out in 1996 and 1998, respectively, and are kind of like the vampire western, right? It was kind of a micro-genre, um, where it's like, you know, and also uh, Tales from the Crypt Bordello of Blood, which I kind of tend to locate in a similar subgenre. Uh, but I think I'm the only person who ever saw that movie, and I mostly saw it because it had Dennis Miller in it. Um, and, and also, that was from the period of time where there were a bunch of vampire movies that came out where people used super soakers full of holy water to fight vampires, which I always felt. And also, I mean, and then if we want to talk about more vampire stuff, we can talk about Blade, right? Um, which is 1998, which is contemporary with, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and which is, you know, this sort of, we've talked about Blade a bunch of times about kind of like, you know, converting horror into adventure, right? Like, I think I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about The Grey, which I saw, which is kind of like a bait-and-switch where it's in it. It looks like an adventure movie, but it's really kind of an existential horror movie. Right. And Blade, Blade is, like, from the micro-genre of, like, or the genre at this point of, like, horror movies that get turned into adventure movies because they're not actually all that scary because the people have the capability to stop things. <laughs> but the thing is that once these things start piling up, and then, okay, so, I mean, I don't want to make the point yet. I'll, 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 I'll make the quick secondary point, which is, yes, zombies as we understand them now are currently tend to be about 
anxieties about social conformity, about kind of like industrial and post-industrial anxieties about people's social roles, you know, losing their identity. Uh, and that if Jordan were here, he would definitely go into, because I know he loves, he loves to talk about, well, maybe he doesn't love talking about it, but he, he often talks about um, how they used to be uh, racial anxiety stories, right? Like zombie stories used to be about like voodoo and Jamaica, right? And like, like if you watch... Um, uh, Weekend at Bernie's too. It's like this. Um, it, it's sort of like like Weekend at Bernie's too is like the last hurrah for that kind of zombie movie. Before they're like, all right, let's just stop. Uh, but yeah, there's like you know, I think I think the man with the golden gun. Oh no no, uh, live and let die. Maybe there's one of the Bond movies that involves zombies. Uh, people are given zombie drugs. Um, sure. It's the one with Baron Samity. So it's it's uh, it's it's live and let die. I think, and it's very racist. And so like so, zombies sort of made this transition from being as a horror trope about uh, the kind of passions of of the, of the tropic region, kind of overwhelming our, our civilized minds, and kind of like being like sort of rapacious uh, element of our society, and then became about kind of like corporate and like kind of labor stuff. Okay, so I've said that. I feel like that's not that can't really. That's pretty clear, right? All the way from like, you know, uh, Dead Alive, Brain Dead, right? The Peter Jackson one about 1950s New Zealand, Night of the Living Dead, and and uh, all of the other Dawn of the Dead, and, on, and and even like Walking Dead, right? It's about kind of like, you know, people people and their sort of economic anxieties. So that all said, we can go through all of these, both of these genres, and we can we can make conjectures like what we've just been making. I mean, I think you've, what you've been saying has been less conjecture than what I've been saying. I think you have a bit more to back it up. And we can say, well, this vampire story happened because of this, and this vampire story happened because of this, and this zombie story happened because of this. And you can note all of the different historical things that were happening when these were – but the thing is that they're happening constantly. And I feel like I've made this point on the podcast a couple times. Maybe it's been a few years. Like people talk about vampires. It may well. Yeah, with our yeah. podcast, you can say that. Maybe it was a couple years. Yeah. I mean, like it's like when Weird Al Yankovic comes out with an album. I remember reading an interview with him once, and people are like, "Yeah, every time I come with an album, everyone's like, oh, you made a big comeback." And he's like, "I only make an album once every five years or so. You know, I was never gone. All my albums are successful. You know, like uh, it's just I only. It's like the va- the vampires and zombies. I feel like they don't." They haven't necessarily come back. They've always been there. Right. I mean, like maybe people – and I think what I would what – I would, the question I would pose is would be if you perceive that vampires have been relatively de-emphasized and zombies have been relatively emphasized, one of the interesting questions is not what has happened to society, but the question might be what has happened to you. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that I would point out is that uh, – Yeah, Phil from Michigan. What has yeah. happened to you? I don't – mean that in an accusatory way although that's how it came out but like where is the walking dead on right it's on amc right where's twilight twilight's in the movie theaters we go with a bunch of 15 year old girls sure. or 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 women you know grown women drinking their cans of sofia coppola wine which i was reading about on twitter and was very amused by reading, Enjoying. you know wearing their red hats and whatnot exactly exactly um so who where which the question is where are you hanging out and what are you doing and i think that maybe right now if we want to talk on a societal level zombie stories are kind of oriented to an older crowd maybe um you know like the ones that happen like people maybe will be more drawn to the zombie stuff if they are well men right like because it seems like zombie stories are more male leaning and vampire stories are more female leaning now maybe i don't know but I, i feel like um it's easy to overemphasize how popular these things are. Like Walking Dead is by far the most popular show on AMC, and even that isn't really all that popular. Like let's all remember that the most popular – that like you know, the reboot of Dallas was like the most popular uh, cable TV series, and like the Hatfields and the McCoys was the biggest cable TV event of the year. right? Like it's not you – know, levels. The, the watching levels are always very low for these things. Um, it's very niche. Like you're in an echo chamber. Well, everything right? – I mean everything is very niche now yeah. except for football, right? Like you can't – you don't – don't have the kind of mass culture um though though the vampire stuff i mean actually like uh, so pete let me let me make a conjecture and you you sort of agree or argue as you see fit um the vampire stuff seems to belong to ma- mass culture that is to say to films right like and and you can't because of the the sort of economics of the way um films have gotten and this has a lot to do with their labor relations and it has a lot to do with the the sort of um the kind of corporate structure of the the movie studios and how they've gotten acquired and and uh so the kind of risk averse things uh you can't make a movie oh and the cost also of marketing a movie for uh for global release right like you can't make a movie that 
you know, doesn't gross hundreds of millions of dollars. At least it will be seen as a, as a uh, huge failure. And the, the vampire movie, right, like, uh, is so is a mass culture um, phenomenon. And the, the zombies seem to be like the zombie. When was the last, like, you know, $200 million zombie blockbuster that you imagined? Oh, you, you, you want to know what the last $200 million zombie blockbuster was? Let me see if I can find the sales figures for it. Uh, I, what I want to say is, are they on number? They're on number two now, right? I mean, the last $200 million zombie blockbuster was like Left for Dead 2. Right. Like, like, uh, it's like, like the zombies are huge in video games right now. Right. Huge. Yeah. And so like they're making movie type money over there. Right. Like you want to look at the Red Dead Redemption zombie mod. You know, you want to be looking at, uh, every game has a freaking zombie mode now, like the call of duty mods and whatnot. Um, so, so I guess, but of course, like zombies work really well for, for shooter shooting games because, you know, shooting them in the head is kind of a cool gaming thing that you want to do anyway in these games like a lot of these games are about shooting things in the head over and over and over again for weeks and days and years and everything um but yeah yeah no I, so i guess i mean but you can come up with counter examples right like this zombie movie uh i guess i think i do think that zombies are better in video games and vampires are better in movies because a vampire is a one-on-one relationship where you can use a lot of close-ups and a lot of suspense and zombies are a one-to-many relationship well, also, where you I can mean, like a, create a lot of models a, a, a vampire presents opportunities for fantasy right for sort of inserting yourself into the story and like interacting with the vampire right like it's not yeah. you can never have like a you know sexy sexy extremely chaste uh zombie you know you, have you, you haven't seen the resident evil movies have you I, <laughs> with, I uh, with mila jovovich i think the last one well, actually how much did that make this is you should because uh for no other reason than than the resident evil movies we podcast about this i think you weren't around for this one but the resident evil movies are really pioneering in the area of attaching nonsense uh verbal nouns to the ends of movie titles um, oh, no, so, yeah we, we yeah. did we did we did that i was i was on that one right like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe we're that's, maybe that's where the twilight movies will will go you know what i mean like uh uh twilight twilight Mageddon. Yeah, Twilight Mageddon. Arm Apocalypse or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So Resident Evil, let's look at Resident Evil Retribution on Box Office Mojo. Okay. Because uh, that's the last big zombie movie I can remember coming out. It came out this year. Uh, its domestic gross was $42 million uh, as of November 11th. Uh, let's look how it was by country. Um, daily. I don't want to look at the dailies. I want to look at the summary. Give me the summary. <laughs> uh, the production budget was $65 million. It grossed $42 million domestic. And get this, $179 million globally. So a worldwide gross of $221 million for the Mila Jovovich vehicle Resident Evil Retribution, which by all accounts is terrible. right? Like, and is R-rated. Uh, 81% of it from overseas. Um, so there's an interesting one for you. That actually really undoes a lot of what we just said, right? Because there, there was just a multi $200 million vampire action movie that came out, or a zombie action movie that came well, out. Well, gosh, if you count the global box office. <laughs> well, then everybody makes $200 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Battleship was, a, was an extremely <laughs> successful movie if you count the global box office. Hey, Hulk made money. Hulk made money. That's what I always say about the Ang Lee Hulk. Hulk made money. Hulk made lots of money. It's just, you know, it made it in Hulk hand sales. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, that's the thing is that, like, there's so much out there about these vampires and these zombies that you can really take whatever slice you want and make whatever point you want. Like, you could talk about the 28 Days Later franchise versus, like, the, the, the 30 Days of Night or whatever that thing is called, right? Like, uh... You could talk about I Am a Legend, right, which basically just conflates the two of them together. Uh, 30 Days of Night is the one about Alaska that from 2007, right, where, like, the sun is down for the whole time. It's like pitch black but with vampires um, and no Vin Diesel, which uh-huh. is a, um, but was supposedly really good. So, like, there's, there's indie movies that are both no, vampires. No Dame Judi Dench either. That's a big – that's a shame. <laughs> Skyfall, reinventing Bond for the 21st century. Uh, Dame Judi Dench. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So – yeah, so I mean, I just, I just, I can't get behind the assertion that our society is obsessed now with vampires or zombies. No, um, our society is always obsessed with vampires and always obsessed with zombies. And when they, when, even when they don't call them that, you know yeah, what I mean? I, like, sort of the Tom Wolf movie, the, the, uh, what was it? Bonfire of the Vanities, right? Like, is about vampires, you know, to a cer- yeah. for certain definitions of vampire. Right? Yeah, it's certain. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think, uh, 
I think another thing to remember, and I think this is kind of important when thinking about uh, geek culture as well, is you know the hegemonic uh, entertainments are less hegemonic now. And so niche audiences get to feel because of the communicative echo chambers, the targeted searches, targeted news articles. Like the people are being fed more of what people think they like. So it will appear that the thing that you like is more popular than it used to be. And also, uh, it is relatively more lucrative to serve a niche audience now uh, because there is less to be made broadening the appeal because it costs more money and and it's more difficult to do. Um, And you're you're, you get a built in audience and you don't have to spend as much and they're immediately supposedly going to be knocking the door down. As is apparent. Two hundred million dollars worth of global Mila Jovovich fans. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm a. I really love. You know, Fifth Element is my benchmark movie. You know, I really have a, a soft spot for Mila Jovovich. Oh yeah. Oh well. I mean, I. I I, I no comment. About- <laughs> <laughs> oh. A soft spot, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah. Phil, Phil from Michigan, uh, or Phil of Michigan, as he signs his email. Actually, really, uh, he. Um, it's it's interesting the way he characterizes vampires and zombies, right? Like vampires as being sort of sophisticated, sophisticated, eloquent, and well dressed, and zombies as being sort of crude, stumbling, uh, brainless, right? And yeah. and sort of not well dressed, right? So so there's a kind of normative. Uh, there's a sort of normative claim buried in in Phil's email that like we should we should focus more on zombies because they're more aspirational, uh, right? And that's that's an interesting I think tack to take, um, mm. right? With, with talking about like horror horror stories. Uh, <laughs> I mean I don't know maybe maybe he just doesn't like dressing up. <laughs> I mean, if you want to make another historical conjecture, you know, like in the days, the heady days of the housing boom, there was a really huge push to get men on board with using various kinds of beauty products and dressing up really fancy and all this other stuff. And nowadays, like maybe that's less popular because men have lost a lot of jobs and men are kind of suffering economically, relatively speaking, uh, to how they've, you know, how little they've suffered before, right? Like, uh, or more or less, you know, not little, but you know what I mean? So like maybe like the metrosexual male isn't so much of a thing anymore because people can't be expected to afford it and therefore like the well-dressed man has become less of something for a man to aspire to and more as something for a woman to fantasize about um but uh but that again is a conjecture and i'm not sure that it'll be it bears out i mean you could also sort of take the attitude i heard some people once say that the the best way to look at existence is to consider it to be a grand conspiracy held by your very close friends Right, like it's like that's sort of like a very reaffirming way to uh, to look at like the the sort of nonsense and absurdity of the universe is to be like, well, you know, it's you know the bosses are like me and the people I know, and we get to have fun thinking about it that way, uh-huh. uh, and then that means that really from a kind of you know. You know, Kierkegaardian perspective, you're kind of free to choose whatever narrative related to your experience culturally of the touch tones of vampires and zombies that you want, right? Like, if you want uh, to associate this as a time when you move from vampires into zombies, like, there's certainly stuff out there that will reaffirm that for you. And, and in terms of you being a being that exists in time, right? And like, as somebody who is like, you know, your own existence, uh, you know, ex- is it es- essence, uh, existence precedes essence, right? Like, so, so the idea that like the existence, the essence of your experience is something that you can, uh, you know, you not, you not monkey around with a little. Yeah, bit. monkey around with is a great way of putting it, uh, and a little to any sense. So you have a certain amount of freedom as to how you want to interpret the twilight cultural phenomenon for yourself. After all, it's all just it's just turtles all the way down anyway, <laughs> right? Like, there's no like there's no like right answer. There's no like uh, like twilight cop who like lives in the center of the earth and is going to like tell you no, you were wrong about twilight. Right? Like I, I keep the records. I know for certain. Yeah, you sure. Right. I, mean? like, I am the social like I am the arbiter of the meaning of social trends. Or the effect of social trends yeah. on your popular culture. Yeah. And I am telling you yeah. that such is not the case. Like the architect from the matrix. Yeah. I know this, that, but that's a character that would totally be in twilight. Cause like Bella, Oh, he's so male and smarter than me. You know, like Bella would be like, Oh, I want to be so retrograde. You know, like, Oh man, is there a way that I can debase myself further? How about I have a baby that tries to eat my womb? <laughs> you know, like, cause my body is evil. Right, like all this other nonsense. Right, like, how about, how about, my, how yeah, about right. my ex-boyfriend pees on my baby daughter? Like, how's that? How about, how about that? Is that awesome? Does that sound great? Well, Pete, that got dark there. For I'm, a... Doesn't that happen in Twilight Breaking Dawn Part Two? <laughs> doesn't Jacob pee on the baby? Oh, uh, maybe. He, I, I he, forget. He imprints on it, right? 
Um, oh. I don't know if it happens in the movie, but isn't that what happens in the books? Yeah, but he imprints on it, but not I not I think in in urinary terms, at least not not insofar as I remember. But that's how dogs imprint on each other. <laughs> so if they just if just minced words with it, like <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not pee, maybe it's like glandular spray. Um, maybe, maybe Jacob's glandular spray was kind of the, <laughs> the the focus of that scene, and not in fact his his, his urea and waste product. <laughs> These books are great. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, I'm sure if you know whether or not Jacob ever pees on a baby, leave it in the comments because I really want to have that clarified for yeah, me. Team, team <laughs> Jacob. I, yeah. Yeah, right. Like exactly. we, we are putting out the alert for Team Jacob. You guys get on board and explain to me what the heck happens to Jacob at the end of the Twilight series <laughs> and how this is at all at all permissible or satisfactory. Because I like Jacob. Like honestly, I'm on Team Jacob. When it comes to Edward and Jacob, I'm totally on Team Jacob. Mm-hmm. Love werewolves. Don't like vampires. <laughs> um, You're on Team Jacob water sports, apparently. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's uh, I'm mostly I'm just looking. I'm like like any good person in a political party. I'm like fishing for some sort of explanation to justify the obviously terrible thing that the person I believe in just did. Right? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, you see, it's uh, it's happened because of uh, the freedom of uh, freedom of expression. It's really First Amendment. Look, you don't want to live in Hitler's Nazi Germany, right? Like Hitler had laws against werewolves peeing on babies. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, Oh man, <laughs> but no, like that werewolves have kind of lost out. I was in my uh, like I can say, oh, werewolves have lost out. Except, oh, you're right. Teen Wolf is like a huge teen hit uh, television show. Well, I mean, right? like, huge again. These words like huge and hit need to be need to be uh, explained or sort of relativized and quantified yeah. in in particular ways because there aren't huge hits right anymore. Um, I mean, like uh, big, 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 big movies like Twilight is a huge hit. Um. But other things are not as big of a hit, right? But Twilight also costs like a bazillion dollars. Well, sure. Uh, the um, you know Hunger Games is a, is a, a huge hit. I mean, and, and this is I mean, this is sort of interesting, right? Like Harry Potter is the last one I can think of that had uh, um, the last sort of fantasy, right? Like teen. Uh, uh, young adult sort of film uh, in this sort of uh, what this sort of blockbuster genre, right? That that uh, like other than other than Twilight and the Hunger Games, Twilight and the Hunger Games. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I for me the the salient trend seems to be the move towards uh, the move towards girls as protagonists, which I think has to do with what you're talking about about women entering the workplace and the sort mm-hmm. of the cultural anxiety that has to get worked out. Uh, around that and i would i mean and actually like um you know twilight is about sort of the debasement right of of a nubile woman to to the man like she turns to cannibalism right like because her her baby wants blood her baby that's eating her womb right like wants wants blood and so by drinking blood she uh she can satiate the baby the the like the the vampire spawn inside of her um Like she, uh, you know, I don't know. After after coitus with her vampire husband, right? Like she's she's battered and bruised, but like goes back for more. Though he's of course sensitive and racked with guilt, uh, right, right, right. Which is you know like troubling uh, in yeah. certain registers. But um, what's the use of wondering if he's good or if he's bad? He's your fella, and you love him, and that's all there is to that, <laughs> right? Like. Rogers and Hammerstein, yeah, they, <laughs> 1940 frickin' two. Right? Like, <laughs> they knew a thing or two about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you do Vampire Carousel. Oh, by the way, the, 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 <laughs> that was a real nice clam bake. <laughs> yeah, it was. That was delicious. Uh, yeah, you'll never walk alone because there's always a vampire behind you. Um, so, but that made me think there needs to be a vampire or zombie football movie. Because when you said that there's nothing that's really broadly popular except football, there you go. Write that slam dunk. You know, well, yeah, Empire. I mean, like you could six think yard. About- you call it six yards under. That's what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the um, yeah, I mean, what if the the team were made up of you know various kinds of of the undead? Because like vampires and zombies would be useful in different positions on a football team. Uh, I suppose, yeah. Vamp. I mean, it depends if whether you use fast zombies or slow zombies, yeah, well, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Left, for, left for dead zombies. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. Oh man! Oh gosh! 
so much about the zombies and the werewolves it's, and the uh, No, let's talk about women in the workplace because that's – Well, I, I want to rephrase it because not women in the workplace. It's women in the corner office. It's women in the professions. Like women in the workplace happened a long time ago, no, right? right, like, right, right. Talking, of course. Yeah. No, it's the, it's the what? The shattering of the glass ceiling or those – I mean that yeah. actually well, – it's, it's the struggle to put women on top of the Fortune 500, sure. right? It's stuff like that, which you can read about every day if you want, mostly in the form of people claiming it isn't happening while it happens, like slowly and gradually like and very painfully. Well, right, yeah. Right, but I mean the, the discourse around it is that like it's not happening fast enough or in a way that's yeah. satisfactory to you know right-thinking progressives or yeah. you know it's happening too fast and it's it's the end of of western civilization and, and right, right, right. you know um right the the there's a lot of normative discourse around it not a lot of sort of positive disc like evidence-based like positive discourse around it but the but i think that like the the thing that interests me actually uh, because i have degrees in english and acting um is actually not what is happening but how we are thinking about uh mm-hmm. what's happening and it seems to me that like it, it, this this is getting worked out in in 30 rock you know what i mean it's getting uh, yeah. worked out in, in in uh in the culture in in certain way in desperate housewives right like in uh modern family uh this stuff is getting uh this stuff is getting worked out and that that that's the the part of the phenomenon that's interesting to me i should say right 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 well i mean you you talked about being uh you know an actor as well as an artist and i, I wanted one interesting place well actually what i was preparing to talk about when we were saying we were going to talk about twilight also is um uh, in the theater, right? Like, like the theater audience, like the Broadway theater audience and the sort of theater that costs $50 audience is uh, overwhelmingly female, right? Like, like 70% female or something like that. It's like mothers and daughters and all, a lot of plays about mothers and daughters. Like Wicked is kind of like, like, I think that there's a cultural through line you can draw like from Wicked into Twilight, right? That is, that is economically influenced where it's like, okay, you know, we can make a big blockbuster movie, um, that uh, that older women and younger women are going to want to see. Like, those are going to be our two quadrants, right? Uh, and then the reason that we can do this is because uh, the economics of it has changed, and it doesn't matter whether the men go to the movie or not, or go to the play or not. Like, we have enough women that will want to go. And the men aren't going to want to go anyway, uh, because of the way the audiences are changing. But I guess, like, in that sense, you know, okay... I mean, you were talking about working it out. Like, I, let me just I would sort of say that economic kind of conjecture up front and then like say, OK, let's assume that there's this influence that's happening and these are the people that are seeing things and these are the people that things are being made for in certain subsets of the economy. Obviously not across the board. The Avengers isn't for ladies primarily, although they have a lot of cheesecake in it or beefcake, not cheesecake. Cheesecake is ladies. Beefcake is dudes. Which kind of cake is which? That's, no, that's exactly right. All right. Do you like pie? The Rock thought so. Uh, but uh, there's a reference no one ever gets. Jabro- jabronis. Um, but, uh, but yeah. But uh, So, yeah. So, it's, it, there's a lot of different properties where it's being worked out. And I, I do think – and Brave is a good example, right? Like of a, of a, of a mother-daughter movie sure. that is kind of working out a lot of these, these things. Because I think – I mean I'm, you not know, sure, I'm not sure that, that, that Twilight is a mother-daughter franchise It's because I mean, the, the kind of the remote – uh, alienated father is sort of more more present. Uh, oh yeah, no, it's an older women, younger women franchise. It's oh, yeah, not a sure. mother daughter franchise. I mean, that's how I would I would characterize it. Sure, right? Is I mean, you know, um, and then you know, Harry Potter was a four quadranter that everybody wanted to go see. Right. Um, and Twilight is. I mean, maybe dudes like to see Twilight. I don't know. Just because I don't doesn't mean there aren't a lot who are going to go see it. Um, but at any rate, I mean, that's interesting, right? Because there's a couple of different narratives that are being worked out in the culture. There's the narrative of the woman in the, in the corner office of, like, the Liz Lemon, right? That's kind of like uh, we're trying to build a discourse and how to explain these experiences, people telling their personal stories and kind of turning them into fictional characters that then pass through the culture and are resonant and people understand. Um, there's, like, the struggle Right, like, so Liz Lemon is kind of like the vulnerabilities. It's the kind of thing that we're safe enough and secure enough in this position that we can make fun of it a little bit. And then there's the sort of struggle story, which is like the ugly Betty story, right? right? Like, which is like you know, oh, everyone's against you and you're fighting and you're you know, you're the good one and everybody else is bad. Yeah, which I mean, that's is a narrative also that, sort of the the Ally McBeal story, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Which I mean, every group has every group has its story about like you are the one that is the victim and everybody, or not the victim, but you're the person who's beset and this is your struggle. Everybody, every group has that story. So. So there's nothing. I'm not saying there's anything disingenuous about it because everyone feels like they're struggling. You know, I've seen Louis. That's you know, like I'll go back to that. You know, uh, everybody. Everybody feels that way sometimes. Um, 
And then there's the story of, oh, I have a job and I have difficulty taking care of my family um, or like being or like finding connection or finding love. Uh, there's this sort of sex in the city story, which is another example of it, right? Which is like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reinventing like what it means to have relationships with people and to have my needs met in certain ways. And um, there's just all, all sorts of ways in which the giant ripple effects, both of the economics of the audiences and the, and the sort of economics of the culture, are kind of feeding in and feeding these new stories that are that are catching their gears in, in in each other and moving forward. That was kind of too evocative and kind of destructive of a cruel of a metaphor. That was a very male metaphor for me to choose to describe like the story of of women as grinding the, gears, the gears like, that are yeah, catching the gears, their teeth against each other. Right, That's like exactly, a giant dentata. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, gears, the gears of progress, right? Like turning the, the Yeah, exactly. The, That's the, like what, something the, the proud that. protuberances on the gears, right? <laughs> like uh you know, I don't know. What, uh, yeah touching one another or something it's like freaking fritz lang right or we don't, whatever you know uh, did i say the right name there is fritz lang a name that is associated with that yeah uh, uh, Metro- yeah metropolis metropolis right yeah exactly sometimes i just say a name and i have no idea whether it's the right one but it feels right so there you go fritz yeah. lang <laughs> and his lazy eye his crazy eye that's the kind of that's the kind of hard-hitting discourse you can expect on the overthinking and podcast drink he said discourse <laughs> Um, well, if you would like to, to join the discourse, drink again, discourse, 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 chug, mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, email us at podcast at overthinking.com. You can call 203-285-6401, call or text. Uh, you can email podcast at overthinking.com. Thank you to Phil from Michigan from his question. His question came in over email. It was actually an email to the uh, uh, using the contact form on the site to the editor uh, address, um, but we uh, we commandeered it. Uh, in our typically masculine way, and uh, misappropriated it for uh, for use on the podcast here, uh, or you can join the conversation on the show notes for this episode uh, in the comments. We would appreciate it if you did that because it's always a good time in those comments. And I always I, I always like in Monday or Tuesday. I don't know if you're like this, Pete. I sort of go back to the site a lot and refresh it because I'm waiting for the sort of the conversation to get going. I don't. Oh want, yeah, totally. I don't want to comment on our own podcast without prompting from you know from other people to answer questions or join in a discussion or something like that but uh you know i don't want to be the first i don't want to be the first uh uh the first commenter i am not i don't want to to comment first you know mm-hmm. um so uh we we brought up something a couple weeks ago and i would like to bring it up again and uh sort of task you with with doing a favor for us if you are so inclined if you like this this podcast would you share it with a friend would you send it along uh to people and um uh, you know, tell people about this podcast. We uh, we would like to grow our audience. We would like to be able to do some of the things and have kind of some of the like network effect and some of the kind of the large community effect um, that an even larger audience than what we have uh, brings. And you know, it helps us. It helps us in a lot of ways um, with the kind of self sustainability of the site. The more people uh, like the things, like the things that we do, um, we uh, we I guess you know. There's an intrinsic limitation to our audience. I mean, how many people really want to, you know, listen to a podcast where the the gears of progress are compared to a vagina dentata? And uh, you know, just uh, in terms of our anxiety about it as dudes, right? Like, anyway, <laughs> I interrupted. Sorry. How heteronormative of you, Pete? <laughs> it looks like it's come to a grinding halt. <laughs> anyway. Um, the, uh, right. Like may, maybe there's a built in limitation, but we think there are more sort of, uh, smart, eclectic, uh, funny people out there, uh, who would like what we do. So if you know one of them, Hey, why not, why not email them a link to an episode? And, uh, if they're not hip to podcasts, explain how to, uh, download them to their pod and, uh, listen within the confines of their pod. Uh, once they seal themselves in their pod, uh, we can cast at them. Um, the Skyfall episode might be a good one uh, to start with because that's a, a movie a lot of people have seen. Um, maybe not. Uh, maybe not this episode. I, I I don't know, Pete. What do you think of the merits of this episode as a starter episode for someone listening to the Overthinking It podcast? I mean, it gives you a good example of the kind of conversation we can generate about a movie that we haven't watched. I guess so. And it <laughs> yeah. is kind of. I mean, it is kind of a trope, right? Uh, of the Overthinking It podcast to to uh, talk a lot about a film that we haven't watched. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. There's that. 
No, I think it's awesome. I think this was a great podcast. I always like our one-on-one podcast because I get to talk a lot. Um. <laughs> I like our I, I, I like our time together too, Pete, but it's because I get to spend it with you. Oh, thank you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're a vampire. <laughs> You're wearing that shiny black shirt. <laughs> You're... Yeah, I'm dressed like a, a Hot Topic mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we Hot Topic Mannequins will be back next week with another podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Blame it on the rain that was falling, falling. On the stars that shine yeah. at night. Whatever. This looks a lot better when we record it ahead of time at Lip Sync. Harvey. His scares had ceased when the superior fiend was moving toward the shore. His ponderous shield ethereal temper, massy, large and round behind him cast. The broad circumference hung on his shoulders like the moon, whose orb through optic glass the Tuscan artist views at evening from the top of Fasola or in Valdarno to descry the new lands, rivers, or mountains in her spotty globe. Uh, and it goes on, but uh, that's interesting because this is Paradise Lost, and they are comparing Satan to Galileo. <laughs> Which is a really kind of dark comparison.